if God, Moses would have come to God and say, all right, God, I know we need to be forgiven. We're sinners. I got a plan. I'm going to call it atonement. We're going to have a sacrificial system. We're going to set it up. And if you could just blue, you know, stamp this approval, we can do this. And if you're okay with it, that's what we're going to do. That would be man providing a way back to God. And that's not what happens. God lays out the blueprints for sacrifice. Welcome to Through the Bible Together, a production of International Baptist Church Cologne. Our aim is that this weekly content will stimulate conversation and meditation on God's Word. Welcome back to Through the Bible Together. David Martin here with Jonathan Douglas, and we're here to talk about uh, Leviticus chapters really four through six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was out of town yesterday. I was uh, serving a church in the Netherlands, had a great time there, but I missed out. I've heard from a few people, I really missed out on a great time of worship uh, yesterday. So maybe just give us a recap of, of Sunday and uh, kind of main points of the, of the text, and then we'll get into some other details that we leave, we left off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hi again, it's nice to be back. Um, it's Jonathan Douglas here. I uh, I had a really good time yesterday in in church, not just because I had the opportunity of teaching, but um, as big a responsibility as it is, it is great to be able to deliver what what you're seeing from the Bible. But I had a, I had a great time. We had so many visitors in town. We had some people from Spain, from Peru, from uh, Washington. It was just good to see that they could come along. They'd be really encouraged. Um, I was really encouraged by the music and the team that led as well. And, and even we were going to get to the, we're going to get to the, uh, the content of the message yesterday, the content of, of Leviticus four to through six, but it, and it's, it's an uncomfortable topic of guilt and sin. And, and then in light of that, God's provision, but I think I was maybe mostly encouraged by the fact, and I said this uh, to a few people already that, um, we sat for 30 minutes or so, hearing a message that is actually really insulting for us to hear. A message that does the very opposite to what we hear around us from the media, from our kind of the worldview, and even from our probably our own self, you know, our own nature, our own flesh, that that puts in light the thing we want to avoid. And we all sat under that message and listened. And I thought that is um a necessary thing to hear, and it's it's helpful if we are to grasp God's big picture and what He wants us to know. And so, just seeing it maybe Sunday from that light, I was encouraged. Amen. I think there's two things about our church, or you can say the international church context, that is I'm very grateful for. And the first thing is just what you said, uh, and maybe the main thing that I'm thankful for is specifically talking about international churches. Number one, it's a revolving door. I mean, most people in our city who come to our church, they're not here for a long period of time. They're here for 18 months, you know, three years, not long. But in that time, they really get involved. And we get to know brothers and sisters of the Lord from all walks of life, from many countries, cultures, contexts, and they're, they're here for this time. And it creates a unique dynamic. And so when you get excited about, hey, we've met some people from Peru, we've met some people from Washington State, we've met some people from you know, different, a lot of, sounds like a lot of Spanish speakers yesterday. But what a blessing that is to worship the Lord with, with brothers and sisters from around the world. And for that moment, it's this, this little flash in the pan moment of what heaven's really about from every tongue, tribe, and nation and such a blessing. And, um, 
And the other thing too is being a part of a a faithful Bible teaching, expository preaching church. You get all those people together to hear the word and there is an anticipation. I would even say there's an expectation that they're going to hear from the Lord. They're going to get the meaning of the text. Mm -hmm. And what we hope is they're going to take that, meditate on it, and then allow the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to them where they need to grow, where they need to become closer to the Lord, or where they have to confess it, or where they just need to grow in their understanding of what it means to be part of a local church. So uh, I, love, I love our church. It's been a blessing to visit other international churches uh, with this position or role that I'm volunteering for in our convention. I get to travel around and visit other churches, and there's that same dynamic, people from all over the world coming together. And when the Word of God is preached, the people respond in obedience, and they respond in worship. So not only sitting under that, under a sermon about guilt and sin and unworthiness, but then to respond in praise, mm-hmm. because we, we know the end of the story. And so, yeah, I can say I definitely missed out yesterday. Thankful to visit the Emmanuel Baptist Church there in Honesbrook, but uh, great church, lovely time. But you always miss your church and mm-hmm. your family. So, But we're talking about Leviticus, and specifically yesterday, we got into uh, the last two sacrifices that are not voluntary. The week before, we talked about the burnt offering, that whole dedication to God. Um, we talked about the grain offering is that token, not token, the tribute to God. And then finally, the peace offering, that fellowship, the, the celebration of the fellowship, a reconciliation to God. Um, and of course, we also talked about that all of that is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, but now we talk, you, you zoned in on the occasion, the occasion <laughs> when sin happens and yeah. there is, it's not voluntary. As a faithful follower of God, there was a right response. So maybe just give us a quick overview of those big points that you touched on. And then we'll talk about some things that we're in the text that, you know, because you can't, in 30 minutes, you can't give the whole thing. So mm-hmm. then we can talk about uh, other areas that really blessed us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the little word, if, in those chapters, right? Speak to the people. If anyone has unintentionally sinned, and then unfortunately it's unavoidable, but that's when <laughs> you could translate that because, um, yeah, we, we, we face the reality they did. And we, we, we know that that's true of everybody since. Adam, that sin is a reality in our life and it does have an impact. And so I think we need to realize um, something that maybe we didn't spend enough time on yesterday, which is um, limited by the, the, the occasion, but we have a wrong view of, of sin in our world. And just to try and bring that to light, that ultimately every time, like for, to use an illustration, every time I go down the road and I'm speeding and I get flashed by the camera. I know that I that there's a consequence to that. Somebody in an office somewhere who considers me guilty, rightly so, and then I'm living anticipating that letter to come through in the post, right? I know, this reminds me, I'm myself, I'm waiting for a letter with a Swiss <laughs> stamp on it, so it's going to hurt. Yeah. In my own case, where I uh, inadvertently drove too fast. I actually got that, that letter in the mail. Don't tell me. <laughs> um, which means Marco got his as well, because I led others astray in that particular instant. Anyway, the, so yeah, I don't want to make a light of it, but there is a consequence to every wrong action. And these, these actions, we see it in the word. You know, we don't go to our, our own sense. We don't go to our community to find out what's right and wrong, what's acceptable or not. We go to the word and, and, and 
that God has, as he laid out there in the garden, a very high calling for us, right? He's, we are to be imagers of him and we've lost that. And um, for the Israelites, their, their commands were made very clear to them, right? The, 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 that God delivered to, to them there in Sinai. So we have to understand guilt in terms of how God sees us. Um, we have to understand that we we reversed a lot of the things. We took the symptoms here, which is the feeling of guilt, and turned it into like the, the ultimate issue. Mm-hmm. And really feeling bad about doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. And God has given us a conscience. He's He's calling, you know, he's an inner witness that does make us feel Hopefully, if, if our consciousness is formed by the word of God, makes us feel appropriate to this the objective reality that we do not have peace with him because of our sin. I, I think we've lost that. We've just made it all about that surface level of guilt. And so just to try and understand guilt correctly or more in line with the Bible, we, we have indeed got this problem. It's We have failed God's standards. It's not just we do individual acts, but this is something we are under the power of sin. It's in our very in our very nature. Not that God created us, created man to be that, but since Genesis one, we have all, as children of Adam, we have sin. Roman Romans five, and that's a complicated thought, but we have sin because of our of our connection to Him and and because we are man like Him. Why do you think that's such a and especially you can talk about our context in our today. But I think throughout time, what is it? What is it so hard to hear about the fact that not that because we sin, or sinning makes us sinners, but we're born in sin, and the evidence is that we commit sin. It seems to be like doing acts doesn't make us sinners. Doing actually proves what we are. Mm-hmm. So doing acts of sin proves that we. And that, that's very insulting. That's hard for someone to hear. Um, when you talk about the gospel with somebody, you say, "Oh, I'm going to share with you the love of Jesus." They're very open to hear about the love of Jesus or the love of God for them. When you bring up that in contrast with the fact that they are a sinner, that's that is the thing that repulses people. Mm-hmm. You know, what? Why was it so important for you to talk about the difference between feeling guilty and just being mm-hmm. a guilty person? Yeah, I, I I thought about this a little bit because I grew up hearing quite a few times this phrase of like, oh, my parents are just guilting me into doing something, um, motivating people by guilt. And I actually don't think it's wrong that we feel guilty. It, I mean, I you used the example yesterday of having this kind of survivor's remorse. There's times that we feel guilty and we shouldn't. I'm not talking about those situations. I don't think it's wrong that we feel guilty. It's that if we come to feel guilty and understand guilt, Without knowing the solution, then comes the pressure for me to be my own savior and me to fix the issue. Mm-hmm. I have a problem. It's if I thought it was a surface level, it, I didn't do this job quite correctly. Well, then I can improve that. But if it's something to do with who I am, I I, I know I can't actually. The problem is deeper, and then I start to it's like being handed a big job at work that you don't you know you don't have time for. You start to kind of be defensive and fight back because. It's the same when somebody points to your guilt going deeper than what you want to admit. It's because then goes on your shoulders the responsibility to fix it. Mm. And so we we do need to hear really loud and clear the other side as well, or at least have that in mind. Maybe maybe it's our maybe it's our pride that doesn't like that we have to depend on somebody else. Mm. The problem is not outside me, but within me. 
Amen. That might be how I would respond. It's interesting, especially when we come to these chapters four through six, where it talks about sins that you didn't commit intentionally. Mm-hmm. They were sins that you, you, even to the point where you couldn't help it. You know, when a woman gives birth, she's unclean. You can't help that. And yet it is a sign of fallenness, an impurity that needs to be taken care of in order for that relationship to God to be reconciled and continue. For someone to accidentally touch something unclean, not they intended to, maybe it fell on them, maybe they tripped over it, mm-hmm. then that has to be dealt with. And you think on one side, you can say, wow, well, God isn't a very, uh, he's, a, he's a mean God. I mean, they didn't mean to do it. That, they, that was a mistake. But it's important to remember that we know now on this side of the cross, and even before, as we read the Old Testament, we come to learn that the law was never intended to make people pure and righteous before God. Its intention was to reveal exactly what you're saying, that we are fallen, we are sinners. And Paul makes that very clear. We, we were talking earlier, just the one chapter that we both, even before we had this conversation, that we were both going to, preparing for this, was Romans chapter 3. Yeah. And Romans chapter 3, 20, it says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. It says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so God was trying to give them a consciousness of the sin that was around them and that permeated them. So when someone touched a dead animal, they touched something unclean. Or when they had a sore or they, they were tested for leprosy and they were sick, they didn't, they can't help the fact that they were, they got sick. But it was a reminder that sin permeates everything. And there has to be a sacrifice for sin. In order to be reconciled to God, a sacrifice must take place. It's something that he established right there in the beginning, not because he's a mean God, because he's trying to deal with the root problem, and that is man is born. We are born in sin. So I think it's a points to his the depth of his love, not the, you know, we think of a holy, righteous God, and we automatically think of this kind of stuffy, angry, you know, grouchy neighbor. You know, he's mm-hmm. always trying to make sure, you know, we live in Germany and there are those there are those types. <laughs> who their job in life seems to be making sure everyone is following the rules and they're quick to point out, mm-hmm. even though they have no authority over it, they're quick to point out what you're doing wrong. But in a sense, that's what the law does. It's just there to point out this, it's what you're doing wrong. Why? It's because you are a sinner. You do these things wrong because you are a sinner and you live in a fallen world permeated by sin. And that is the very thing that God is trying to rescue or redeem us, mm. redeem us from. So, and it brings up another issue that that I realized. I mean, this is when I when I talk to my friends. I have I have friends who are atheists, and when I, when you when you try and talk to this, they respond very quickly in defensiveness because I realize um, maybe we do the same. We don't really fully grasp the shift God wants us to take us to, the new foundation He wants to give us which is his provision rather than us to, and, and maybe that's why we, we, we jump to try when we don't know, and when the neighbor points out the things and it stirs us, it ruins our experience, right? It ruins our experience of guilt and or, or, or experience of peace. And where instead of actually then going and searching God for the solution, we know we can't fix, we can't be the solution. So we just try and like kind of, put a plaster over the, the symptom 
we try and fix the feeling. We try and draw an art or distract ourselves from this sense of guilt. Um, and that's it. That's the danger. So like, that's where various different kind of responses to feeling guilt. We, we need to be people essentially that know both sides, both parts of the story. And exactly. that was, that's what God wants us to know. And we will lose that if we a, ignore the idea of guilt, but also if we don't fully recognize, grasp and, and, and celebrate yeah, in revision. I mean, that's what, I like how you said that we have to know both sides or both halves of the story. There's a chapter one and a chapter two. There's part one, there's part two. Uh, in Romans three, it's one verse later and it starts with uh, a contrast, but now. So no, no one is declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Mm -hmm. And then verse 21 says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Yeah, so we see here the, the part one is the Old Testament in Romans mm -hmm. 3, 20, and then 21 is the New Testament, but now. So the law was meant to point out people's sin, but even in that context, it's important for us to see that God was revealing their sin, but he was also making a way for reconciliation and forgiveness. And that was happening through mm -hmm. sacrifice, uh, through the sacrifice of that, which is a picture of pure and innocence. So why was it undefiled without blemish, pure? It's because it had to be a picture of that which God was. He is holy, but also that he is restoring them to a right and pure relationship. And so... It's important for us to see that it wasn't the 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 sheep or the goat right. that was bringing about that forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That was a symbol. It was sim It was symbolism. It was symbolic of the act of faith, the need for uh, atonement, and then more importantly, a God who provided that way for reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we were thinking about this, and it's been said elsewhere that. I mean, let me, let me read the verse then from, from Romans 3 that actually is, is what we're responding to. Um, from the end of verse 25, it says, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, this, this is him. Paul is defending the righteousness of God, how God did not ultimately cause some injustice. You know, he's not sweeping the, the sin under the rug, right? That's the old expression. But... To continue reading, this is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So there was something that wasn't happening, that wasn't being provided for. Now we know from Leviticus, right? He says they were forgiven, right? They experienced forgiveness. They could go in, they could have that peace offering, they could enjoy fellowship with God, they had peace of mind and know that the Creator was on their side. But something hadn't happened. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Jesus. In other words, the claim could have been that God wasn't just. He was just sweeping the, the sin under the rug so that they could have forgiveness, even though they were sacrificing animals. Right. Basically, the animals weren't, they weren't, they weren't satisfying the justice of God. And that's why we're thinking, as, as far as we understand it, God is, is anticipating a time in the future that he would satisfy his justice. But as you said, those were expressions of faith. When they went with, those, with that um, bull, it wasn't that there was 
you know, magical power in the blood of the bull, but it was an expression of faith. And faith is always, as Hebrews 11 says, right, the way to please God, the way to connect us to the, the provision of God. Amen. Yeah, and I think we are, as we look at this, you know, we are reading the Old Testament Leviticus with the full knowledge of everything that's been fulfilled in Christ. In that time, they didn't have that uh, future vision of God coming to earth in the form of a man, paying the price on the cross for not just the sins of the present time, but the sins of the whole world for all time. That was not in their purview. That wasn't in their, on their path of understanding. What they knew was that they were sinners. They knew they needed to be reconciled to a holy God. And that was offered through God providing a sacrifice. I think we were talking last night how if God, Moses would have come to God and say, all right, God, I know we need to be forgiven. We're sinners. I got a plan. I'm going to call it atonement. We're going to have a sacrificial system. We're going to set it up. And if you could just blue, you know, stamp this approval, we can do this. And if you're okay with it, that's what we're going to do. That would be man providing a way back to God. And that's not what happens. God lays out the blueprints for sacrifice very clearly in Exodus. This is how you're going to we're going to establish this relationship. This is how we're going to restore this relationship. This is how I'm going to be a God who dwells among his people. And it's going to be through uh, purifying the people from sin, cleansing them from sin, and restoring them to a right relationship. But it's always according to God's plan, his agenda. Here in the New Testament, nothing changes. So everything that was, everything that was given in the Old Testament, we know is a foreshadow. The New, Old Te the New Testament calls it a foreshadow of that which Christ fulfills. In that time, it was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. What God allowed, what God provided for the people of Israel was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. But from God's perspective, it was in light of the reality that he was going to fulfill. He was going to conquer all sin for all time in Christ. So we were using the illustration of credit and, and, and debit. At the very moment, oh, so for instance, if I go out and I buy a car on credit, I can sign the dotted line, go and, go and pay the, the down payment, which is a small fraction of the, the bigger cost. Um, illustrations are always tough to break down somewhere in some, at some point, but I pay that little bit and I can take the whole car home. I own it. It's mine. But inevitably in the future, that whole car, I need to pay it. Pay, yeah. Something, it has to be paid for, whether I do it or some benevolent person comes along and pays it for me, I have to pay for it. So from God's perspective, we see he was offering forgiveness on credit in, in the way that they were forgiven, 100% forgiven when they acted on faith and brought their sacrifice to the Lord. They were forgiven. They were reconciled to God, but it was on credit that ultimately Christ was going to fulfill all of that. And we on this side of the cross experience that same forgiveness, but now it's not on credit. Payment's been made. The payment's been made. We are drawing from that which has already been accounted to us. And it's a, it's, of so, course, you can, you, you can, mm, it'll break down <laughs> somewhere. But I think it's a simple way to understand yeah. how does this, how does Christ fulfill all of that, which is, you know, how does he pay for the sins that was committed in the past? How is it God can, as it says here in Romans, how in forbearance, how can he pass over them? Mm -hmm. He's not simply just sweeping it on the ground and saying, we'll not look about, it. we'll not talk about that. You know, mm -hmm. no, he's saying, oh, I'm going to take care of that. It will be dealt with. And I'm offering you this forgiveness now, but it's in light of the fact that Christ 
Yeah. I'm going to come and fulfill that ultimately in a time, in a place for all time, for all people. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. It shows that we often, we, we make a division. There's, there's a, there is a division between Old Testament and New Testament. We try we make a division in the character of God and the plan of salvation, but ultimately in Old Testament and New Testament, like throughout, throughout all time, God has always been the provider of salvation. He's, it's always been a work of God. We've never, God has never intended for man to try and fix the sin problem. That's right. It's always been the work of God. And so how, how you receive it, you're not, because it's not our work, you are receiving you are receiving it. You are receiving it by faith, not trying to earn it. And that's the same in the Old Testament. They received salvation, peace with God through faith, as we do not. Amen. And then this is where your illustration of the credit and debit, because they're putting faith in the one grounds of that salvation, the one way that God did provide it, which was the substitution, substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It's just that that I mean, you say that they're very different. It looks very different. Those guys are filling the law. No, they weren't doing it by works. That was a response of faith. As God had said, right? I am the Lord your God. I've rescued it of Egypt. Now you, you, you obey my commandments so that it may go well with you. It was a response of faith. It never saved them. And so it's always been faith, but that faith had looked different. For them, it looked like that they were following the law. For, I mean, you could say Abraham, it looked like he left Ur of the Ur and he traveled. And for us today, it's, it's, we put our faith in Jesus and we, we seek to, we seek to follow him. It doesn't really, because God never changes, mm-hmm. the way to salvation is always the same. Now it looks different. I like the way you said that. We have to understand that we're not bringing sacrifices. We're not bringing lambs and goats and bulls to church to sacrifice them on the altar. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. We understand that, but it's always been this issue of trusting in the promises of God. I would say trusting in the promise and the provision of Mm -hmm. God. I can't get back to God on my own. No, I'm a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. Meaning the standard of righteousness cannot be met by my works. Therefore, something else has to be done. And so God says, here's the way that I'm going to provide forgiveness and reconciliation to me. In the Old Testament, he had those sacrifices. This is how it is. And from the worshiper's perspective, all they had to do was trust in the promise and the provision of God and respond in obedience. And that's what obedience is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's simply just responding to that which God has promises. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. And so we have this understanding that if we trust in the promise and provision of God, we also receive that. Mm-hmm. And on this side of the cross, uh, God made a promise. He said, whoever believes in me. And what's the provision? Jesus Christ, uh, the son of God, who is the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. And it's, uh, it's beautiful. But I mean, again, and we keep saying this over and over, but how wonderful it is to read Leviticus and discover that which God was preparing for us, even foundations of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing the Old Testament, that God is revealing to us over time in history the necessity of a savior the necessity of jesus i think it's it's beautiful and you just you miss out if you don't take the time to to see that and learn it and know it yeah yeah you miss that and and you obviously miss then the solution in its in its clarity and it's how it's always been there it's not like a plan b or an alternative 
And that's where then we're left facing our guilt when it's when it pops up. We can't hide it. And we re- return to those other efforts of hiding, of trying to like kind of drown it out with, with things or, or, you know, distract ourselves from it. When the solution is through us confessing, that we, you know, from first John one, nine, if you confess, like we have to do the thing we don't want to do. And therefore, if we don't, if we don't clearly lay out both parts of this story, we're never going to get that. We're not going to be able to respond to fear. We're never going to be able to do the hard step of transferring our, our trust from ourselves. You know, to confess, transfer it to somebody else, the solution being without us and the problem being within us. Amen. Confession comes from the one who realizes they need a savior, that they need reconciliation to God. They confess because they recognize they are, mm-hmm. they are sinners. And uh, if you don't see the depth of your sin, God's provision is meaningless to you because yeah. you can just figure it out on your own or you don't need it. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good enough. I try my hardest. I'm not a bad person. You hear all those things. And they miss out on the fact that, no, you have to understand that you are a sinner because mm-hmm. the Bible has clearly shown that everyone has fallen into sin. You know, the, 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 the seed of Adam has passed to all men, that, that, that genetic of sin has passed to all men. Everyone sin, everyone dies. And God has provided a way to be saved from that sin, from that death. But yeah, if you're not confessing, you're not being forgiven. Just like if they weren't bringing that sacrifice according to God's plan, there was no reconciliation. There was no forgiveness. Well, we we covered a lot of ground. Well, we covered a, a big part, I think an important part of those chapters and how that pertains to salvation and, and reconciliation to God. With a little bit of time we have left, I want to talk about how grace is so prevalent in Leviticus, really all through the Old Testament. But as we look at Leviticus, Grace is so prevalent. And specifically, we look at the different kinds of sacrifices depending on the sin or who, is it, who, who, the sin, who the sinner was. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Like we see for, we, they're kind of broken up into different categories. There's the leadership, which is religious leaders and civil leaders. And then there's the nation kind of holistically. And then there's individuals. And yet for each of these, even within the individuals, it's broken up into uh, kind of a means of forgiveness, which that means of, of grace. Uh, why is it so important for us in view of knowing God's character? Why it's important to understand different uh, sacrifices for different people? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very, God's, God looks at us not the way we judge people and status, and he cares for the poor. And therefore, as we said, you alluded to, he makes that accessible. He makes it not beyond their reach. And so the poor person can come with two turtle doves or a handful of flour. And actually, it's a nice detail, right? But what did Mary come mm. for the sin offering, right? Two turtle doves, right? He sent Jesus into the world, into, into a poor family. So God values, you know, differently than how we do. It's, yeah. Amen. So from that perspective, that grace is offered to anyone, no matter where they're at. But also the value. So let's let's go all the way to the front, the sins of the, the religious leaders, the priests, and now they had to offer the most expensive, most valuable sacrifice, as in it was more costly to sacrifice a bowl than to bring, you know, yeah. fine flour. Yeah. And and so to me it really sees that God values structure and leadership. And when a leader sins, there is a greater repercussion than when an individual who has no responsibility over other people sin. 
And uh, I really saw that this idea that there is there is a great responsibility uh, for the leadership, not only the civil leaders, but also specifically for the religious leaders. That when they sin, it's a it's costly, mm. and not that uh, that they are a greater sinner than a poor, as if they can, because they're rich or because they have high position, their sin is somehow a bigger sin than the poor person. It's it all, every sin separates us from God, but there's a cost, you know, and God sets up, he structures this camp, this nation of people it, with a hierarchy, a purposeful one, because it's all kind of build its way towards God. And the priests who act as those mediators between the sinner and God, when they sin, there is a whole breakdown in the connection between the mm-hmm. one who wants to come and worship God and the holy God. The mediator is not able to mediate. And there's a huge repercussion for that. The defilement is broader, yeah. It's much broader. And it's like throwing a little a little rock in the water makes little ripples. You throw a big boulder in mm-hmm. and the waves, you know, the ripples are much bigger and go a lot further. And God is pointing that out. I just, for me, as I was reading that and seeing the different sacrifices, the different costs. You know, it wasn't that a, a male bull just because it was male was more expensive than a female. It was the fact that uh, a male bull that was healthy and pure and undefiled uh, also gave promise that you would have generations of, of healthy animals. But So when you sacrifice that animal, it's worth more. There's a mm-hmm. cost to it. Yeah. And so that's the picture. You bring that value so that they remember that when you sin, there is, there is a cost because of the responsibility that you've been given over the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, for us leaders today, that's an important reminder. And, and Paul talks, talks about that when he ministers to his apprentice, Timothy, that uh, those who keep watch over your life on your doctrine. That's right. Yeah. You see, you see it in the, the, the rites, the rituals that they have in that sacrifice, that sin offering. They had to go and apply the blood, not just to around the altar, but also to go in and bring it to the, the altar of incense. It had to have a broader provision of purification because of the influence of the leader. And when the leader sins, that, that's a, that influence is not, you know, is used then negatively to, to bring more defilement. So yeah, it's, I mean, certainly for us, it's more of a. It's a conf- more confrontational, right? It's, yeah, but we're <laughs> going to be held accountable, Scripture tells us. And so it matters as leaders. Uh, there's, there's an old saying that where the leader goes, so goes the people. And I, we, I think that's a, a principle that we get from Scripture. And we see it today. Uh, why are there churches that err in doctrine? It's because their leadership teaches false doctrine. Uh, when, you have, uh, when you have a specific church that focuses on a certain thing, so like you say the health and wealth gospel or... Um, I was thinking on the way in today about how there are certain people who, certain churches who really want to make sure the pastor looks good. And so they, 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 they focus on elevating the, the leadership, elevating the pastor. So he drives a nice car, has a nice suit, looks really good. Uh, because if he looks good, we look good. But that breeds so much sin because it focuses on wealth and the outward appearance to the point where the whole church is led astray. And that the pastor is not somehow caught up in that. They perpetuate it. They teach it. And uh, I think, well, if the focus isn't Christ anymore, if it's not on the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of of his people, and it's on something superficial and fading, the one who's going to be held the most accountable for that when they stand before God is the pastor, Mm -hmm. is the leadership. And uh, as a pastor of of a church, as an elder, uh, 
we have to remember to take that seriously. Not even in those easy, the easy things, but how we, how we live out, how we model obedience. So we talked in chapter four, it talks a lot about the ordination of the priests. There was this separation. It was to show that they were set apart for a very important ministry. And even the clothes they wear were a reminder of that, that they were held to a standard. And that standard wasn't about keeping their clothes clean. It was about the holiness being separate, that their lives also had to be in accord with God's, with God's law. And I just think it's a, not that God is, uh, we are still saved by, by grace. Our works are not, our, we don't have more riches in heaven because we're pastors of a church. Uh, we are simply being faithful what God's called us to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we act out in a way that's not according to God and his, his command and his righteousness, that has an effect on the whole church in a way that an individual doesn't. Yeah. And, and even sec- another secondary principle there is you have to be careful who your influences are. Mm. All of us, right? Good point. We, we look to people. We can't expect. We don't live in a theocracy. <laughs> We're not looking to our, 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 you know, leaders in government to lead us in the religious life towards God. That's that's not that's not the situation we're in. But we do look to people, whether it's influencers online or, or you know, eloquent speakers or experts in some area or, or IOR kind of stars in one aspect, whether it's sport or not. We just be careful. What We have to bear in mind the fact that they can lead us into something that God very, takes very seriously, which is sin. And to, to, to look for good influences, I think, is just, I mean, this is why they always say, look for dead people to be your heroes, because they, you know, the story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're not waiting for them to disappoint you, or the right. disappointments are clear. That's right. Well, well, this is the, all, the, all the time we have today. Thank you for listening in. We hope that this conversation about Leviticus was encouraging and uh, that it encourages you to get in the Word and study it for yourself. So. All right. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. For more info about our local church community and ministries, please visit our website, www.ibc-cologne.com.